Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, we've seen news reports about how the COVID lockdowns has detrimentally affected the aptitude scores of school-aged children. We've seen reports of how many students are still struggling in school. You know, those two years of the shutdown has set many students back years in their ability to use applied knowledge to their studies. But there's also another group of students that suffered greatly. Their stories are not being promoted or discussed very much in the public sector, but that's nothing new. For many special needs students, their stories have not been that front and center that often. The teachers tasked with helping these special needs children also struggle in trying to help them achieve success. The COVID lockdowns affected them too. There's just something something missing with virtual learning that has cost our children dearly during COVID, especially in the special needs community. My guest today has been working with special needs children for over 25 years. Shelly Cano is a certified special education teacher and the author of a captivating book, Those Who Can't. Teach true stories of special needs families to promote acceptance, inclusion, and empathy. Now get ready to be inspired and gain new perspectives as we dive into Shelly's incredible journey and the transformative power of her work. Amen. Help me welcome to the program, Shelly Cadeau. Shelly, it is such a blessing to have you on the program today. Thank you for coming. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm looking very forward to this. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Shelly Cano? Well, um, I am a wife, a mother. Well, let me back up. I am a Christian, a wife, a mother. My Christianity is first and foremost in my life. Um, I am, an, as you said, an author. I've been in special education now for over 30 years. Um, I've been wow. a paraprofessional, a teacher, a sub. I have now become a IEP coach. Um, I help students and, I'm sorry, families and um, school districts navigate through that special education world. And um, I have my own podcast. Amen. I think I've covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, let's back up way back to the beginning. What first motivated you to become a special needs educator? Well, that's a wonderful and beautiful uh, story of God. When I was nine years old, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I had a fantastic third grade teacher, which was the grade I was in at the time, and I wanted to be like her. I never wavered from wanting to be a teacher. As I was going through elementary school and middle school, I had this little voice in my head telling me, you should teach kids in special education. Mm. And I would just push that little voice aside and say, oh, no, I I don't know enough about those kids. I don't know enough about their abilities. I'm going to feel sorry for them. I'm not going to have high enough expectations for them. Um, Continue on through high school. 
I'm still having this, you know, I still want to be a teacher of elementary students, gen ed elementary students. Um, as a sophomore in high school, I was able to participate in the Special Olympics program in our area. And I thought, wow, this is really great that they have a program for those kids. Mm-hmm. And I found myself always referring to the kids who learn differently as those kids. And that still small voice popped back into my head. You should go into teaching special education. No, I'm not going to have the ability. I'm not going to have the expectation. I'm not going to have anything in common. I'll feel sorry for them. All these negative approaches, all these um, wrong thoughts. I get uh, into high school after high school and I thought, you know, I know I've wanted to be a teacher since I was nine, nine years now, I'm 18, but I want to be a paraprofessional, make sure that I do really want to be in this classroom setting all the time. So I get hired at my own school that I grew up in as a paraprofessional and I start working with kids who are having some reading struggles, who are having some math struggles, who are having some behavior struggles. And I absolutely loved it. Um, I met and married my husband during that time that I was a paraprofessional. He was in the military and we were stationed overseas. Um, I started working in the Department of Defense Dependent Schools as a sub, as a, as a paraprofessional. Um, the first long-term sub position that I had was in a preschool room and I had this little guy the very first day and he had the worst behaviors I had ever seen with a student. Um, he kicked, punched, scratched, screamed, ran, um, spit, just cursed at anything you could think of. He did it. And that was all in my first morning that I experienced those behaviors with this little guy. So at lunchtime, this was an all day preschool at lunchtime, I was talking to the teacher and, and I said, you know what? Give me some more background about this little guy. And so she did. And he'd had zero consistency up to his, this point in his life. He, um, his parents dropped him off the second they could at the daycare and they didn't pick him up until the second they had to from the daycare. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it turns out that his mom really didn't want him. And so he was having a lot of um, hurtful feelings inside and he didn't know how to express that. And so the kids went down for a nap. Um, I, I gave him a big hug after the nap was over and, and I talked with them and I said, you know, we're going to make this better. I was in that classroom for three weeks and from the beginning until the end of that, the transformation in this little guy was incredible mm-hmm. um, with the consistency, with holding to high expectations, which went explaining why he was expected to behave a certain way, why it was important with giving him consequences, um, both positive and negative when he had wanted and unwanted behaviors. And then the next year I was hired in a kindergarten classroom full-time as a paraprofessional for five students, all of whom were in special education. And then it hit me. Shelly, you have been working with kids in special education. The Lord has brought you into each of these situations, and you didn't even realize that these were the kids that you had labeled those kids all of those other years. Mm -hmm. And in that year of being in that kindergarten classroom, I had another little guy who had extreme behaviors. I thought the first one had big ones. The second one had them more frequently, uh, more intense, and for longer periods of time. Mm. But we were able to transform him as well and help him understand why he was having the behaviors that he was having. And so 
um, come back to the United States. And I said, okay, Lord, I got it. (laughs) (laughs) I get why you've told me to go into special education because I absolutely fell in love with all of the kids that I had helped in all those years when I didn't realize I was working with quote unquote, those kids. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. When you first started teaching special needs children, what were some of the major obstacles you faced and how have they improved over the years? A lot of the obstacles had to do with a very similar perspective that I had, that children who learn differently, as I like to refer to them, um, are are somehow less and they're not as capable and they're not going to be successful and they're not um, going to achieve great things in life. And honestly, that's very far from the truth. Um, I often found that people, especially educators that I worked with, and hopefully it's just in my area, but I really don't think it is because I'm a pretty busy IEP consultant and I work a lot with families and a lot with school districts who face the same challenges that I did of people have wrong expectations. First of all, they, I really think that there are two kinds of disabilities, invisible or visible. And every eligibility for special education can fall under one of those two categories. An invisible one are your ones that you don't see. It's not evident when you look at the person. So your autism, your ADHD, your learning disabilities, your other health impaired eligibility. And then you have your ones that you can see, um, um, orthopedic impairment, um, a Down syndrome, or maybe an intellectual delay. Um, Sometimes you can see the behavior. <laughs> you see it faster than you than you recognize it, unfortunately. Um, and we tend to have, <laughs> excuse me, lower expectations for the invisible, I'm sorry, for the visible disabilities and higher expectations for the invisible disabilities, meaning that because we can't see it and it's not in our face all the time, we think kids should be able to do more than what they're able to do whether that is that behavior or academics, because oftentimes with a lot of the disabilities, sometimes all the cylinders are are clicking and everything is working beautifully and they can output fantastic information or fantastic um, skills that we don't see every day. But then other times it's just not working that way. And so I often heard, well, they did it yesterday so they can do it today. They're just lazy today. They just don't want to today. And that is nothing near the truth at all. Um, in my book, every and every student that I ever worked with would often say to me, I just wish I could be like everybody else. Why can't I learn like Jimmy or Joey? Why can't I behave like Sally or Susie? They said to themselves, they can't. Because they knew they didn't have as much control over it as other people thought they did. So that obstacle is definitely, I think, the biggest one, which is why I wrote the book. Well, it's not why I wrote the book. God told me to write the book. But but what I'm hoping the outcome of the book is, is that it will change perspectives. Why I do my own podcast to try to broaden people's experiences to those who are different than them as far as learning and behavior and get that eye-opening experience like I had 
Yeah. Amen. Amen. And from what I understand, you have to help not just the students, but sometimes you have to help the parents in order to provide oh, help to the students. I mean, explain yes. the difficulties in working with the parents in what you do. Oftentimes, um, whenever I would be in an IEP meeting, just individualized education program, um, that's the document that drives special education. Parents wouldn't want their child to be found eligible for special education because A, that meant that all those suspicions that they might have had about their child not being on level with their peers or or not even on level as much as just being able to express being on level um, or being different in some way, now we've solidified that fear. And, and so they don't want to hear that, that their child actually qualifies for special education. So sometimes what I would, or oftentimes what I would tell parents is I'm not just working with your child's academics. I'm working with your whole child. There's emotional, there's behavioral, there's um, spiritual. <laughs> I, I, I didn't usually say that to my to most of my parents, but if I knew that parents were um, faith followers, um, religious people, that I would say that to them. Like I actually prayed for my students regularly, and I still pray for them, even though I'm not in the classroom full time anymore. Um, and also having parents understand that just because your child learns differently um yeah there's unfortunately still that stigma that comes with special education but we're actually going to help your child understand that it isn't something wrong with them it isn't something that they're doing it's just who they are it's how god made them and to accept that and be joyful in who they are because once we open up our hearts to those who have a difference in their abilities as from, from ours, our lives are so much better when we can start to see things through the person who has the disability's eyes. And so um, helping parents understand oftentimes, you know, here are some strategies to use for the behaviors or here are some ways to help your child learn this material or this is okay to accept this method of them getting out getting that information out even though it might be different than you know a different another sibling or a friend or uh you know what a relative and so helping them understand to and accept that yeah. different doesn't mean bad amen amen you know when i was back in school i'm talking way back in the early 1970s the special needs students did not even attend the same public schools as the general population, right. whether that's right, right or wrong. That's the way it was back then. When did this transformation begin that actually integrated them into the same educational atmosphere? Well, I might not be too far behind you in school because I was also in elementary school in the seventies. The law itself came into effect in 1975. Mm -hmm. It has been reauthorized twice since then. Um, the real inclusion piece of it was in the uh, 1990, I think it was 1990 or 1991 reauthorization, um, where it really talked about, you know, we need to now have these kids who are different than their peers in with their peers. Because honestly, when you think about it, everybody has differences. Um, 80%, 80 to 85% of people kind of fall into one category of how they learn. 
but that still leaves 15 to 20 percent of people who don't fall under that category. And unfortunately, um, that category of that 80 85 percent is the way that most teachers teach. So um, I often I didn't realize when I was in third grade that um, those kids were in a closet down the hall, liter- a literal closet. And it was down a hall that nobody went into. Um, and then as I got older and got into teaching, like I said, it was it was in the early 90s where the inclusion piece came in. And now um, in 2004 was the last time the law was reauthorized. And it's being even more inclusive and talks about that least restrictive environment of um, it's not always the gen ed classroom. Sometimes all day in a special education classroom is the least restrictive environment. It's what's determined individually appropriate for the child. Um, and so we're, what we're needing to do now is, okay, we are now putting all of these children with special education eligibility more into the general education population, but we need to train our general education teachers better, and we need to train our peers who aren't in special education, because we do a lot of training in special education of how the child who's eligible should behave and interact and um be learning in their general education classroom, but we don't often teach our general education peers, hey, it's okay that this person learns differently than you. It's okay if they behave differently than you. And then we talk to them and we teach them as much as we're teaching the special education students. Amen. We teach the general education students equally to understand each other. Yeah. Amen. Amen. How has this method of integration helped improve their ability to integrate into society as a whole, like after schools? You know, they graduate. So I think we're seeing, yeah, I, I think we're seeing a much better population of our students who learn differently in the workforce and in life, you know, just being successful. And honestly, many times, I think when people think about people with special needs, um, they're thinking about those visible disabilities more so than those invisible ones. Some of our greatest inventors, um, some of our biggest celebrity names are people with ADHD or learning disabilities. And within the category of learning disabilities is dyslexia and dysgraphia and dyscalculia. Dyscalculia. I can hardly ever say that word correctly. Um, and so we we tend not to realize that a, a huge population of people have those invisible disabilities because they have found ways to fit in to society um, and and use their differences as strengths. Um, there are, like I said, there are so many celebrities and and um, like they think Albert Einstein had ADHD or possibly autism. Um, the uh, now, I, I have like pictures of them in my head and I can't think of any of their names right now, but um, I do a post every so often in my social media about, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that, you know, these people and they're all celebrities, all names that everybody knows have a specific learning disability, have dyslexia, and they are incredibly successful. Um, Steve Jobs, I believe they, they say has ADHD or a specific learning disability. Bill Gates. Um, and and so they're those who have these eligibilities for special education are being integrated all the time 
into society now, although the population of unemployment um, is still like three times higher than those who don't have any kind of eligibility for special education. Um, I think it's like an 8% on average. And so we still need to work, but I think typically that's more of the visible disabilities that tend not to have the employment. Um, but it's it's something that needs to be worked on and, and we are getting better. Um, there's transition programs to help kids. By the time they're in high school, they start doing uh, transition programming into their IEP to help them find the resources, find the um, um, companies that are special education friendly. Um, that yeah. um, you know, there's there's an actual whole organization that I had on my podcast called Mentra, and it's kind of like LinkedIn for people who mm. have disabilities. Really? Okay. Um, and wow. so, yeah. And so um, they're able to find jobs all over the country now, not Amen. just in necessarily their own hometown. Um, you know, they're able to get jobs elsewhere and, and because they're being paired up with companies and individuals who, as I said, are special education friendly. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. That's good. Yeah. They were my 100th episode of my podcast. It was really Praise exciting. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So why did you write this book, Those Who Can't Teach, and why did you feel it was needed now? Uh, well, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, God told me to write the book. And once I recognized God's still small voice, I tried to listen and do whatever he tells me. Um, writing a book was not something that I had ever thought about doing, but he expressed to me that the stories of the people that I knew from teaching and my friends and my family who had someone in them with a disability, um, their stories were absolutely worth telling. And they were beautiful stories. And they, I felt, would bust that stigma of, oh, you, you can't. Um, you're never going to. You won't. Your family isn't. Um, and that's also where the title comes from, those who can't, we each pause on that word. It's in quotation marks. And the reason for that title is also God. Um, I was laying in bed and I was praying about it one night and I had a completely different title and I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> um, and he, I remember him asking me, why don't you like that saying, those who can do, those who can't teach? No teacher likes that saying. I've never met one who does. And I answered, I said, well, because it always makes me feel less than, you know, as a teacher, my occupation is somehow less than all the other occupations because, well, if I couldn't do anything else, I went into teaching. And he said, that's how the families and the individuals in your book feel. And I went, oh, wow. And he says, but what did you learn? from teaching and working with your students and your families. Just like teachers, if we open ourselves up, we can learn so much. It's not academics. It's character. It's unconditional love. It's tenacity. It's perseverance. Um, it's finding joy in every part of life. So at the end of every chapter, I write the things that I learned from the individual and or their family. And that's 
what I'm hoping, you know, I've done book studies with dozens of teachers now since the book has come out. And that's the first question I ask them. What did you think when you saw this title? Why would a teacher title a book with that phrase? And then I explain to them what my reason was for having the title that it is. And um, I've had every teacher that has done the book study with me and every teacher who has read the book and commented back to me that they would 100% recommend it to their colleagues because it does give a different perspective. When we go through our education, we learn about reading. We learn about writing. We learn about math. We learn about behaviors. We learn about the pedagogy. We learn about the great philosophers who came up with all of this stuff. We learn teaching strategies. Did you ever, in all of those things that I just mentioned here, that we learn about the individual or their parent and what their life is like? No, but that's what this book does. There are nine different stories. It's 10 chapters. The first is a more expansive version of what I shared about myself earlier. And then the other nine chapters are those individual stories of those individual families or the person themselves. I have a few chapters where the person with the eligibility for special education was willing and able to share their story with me. Amen. Amen. And so you worked with or know every family that's in the book. Yes. Right. Yes. Wow. wow. Yep. Yeah. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for this portion of the interview with Shelly Canoe. Oh, man, this is good. You know, we, we're all familiar with the adage, those that can do and those that can't teach, right? Well, Shelly Canoe's put a new twist on this, and she's written this book, Those Who Can't Teach, True Stories of Special Needs Families to Promote Acceptance, Inclusion, and Empathy. And, folks, Having worked with the special needs kids these past couple years, uh, doing I, I do officiating in sports, and I've officiated some of their games, and I'm telling you, it is so much fun. These kids are so full of energy. They're so excited, and it just rubs off on you. It is absolutely true, and there's a definite need in this segment of society, especially amongst the teachers. And this book that Shelley Cannell has written, Those Who Can't Teach, it's even been lauded by the teachers. Like, why hasn't somebody brought this out sooner? Hey, man, you need to drop down in the show notes. Click the link right there. Get in touch with Shelly. Ask some questions. But be sure to order her book. And if you're a teacher, especially in a special needs community, you should order two, three, or more of these copies and pass them out. Praise God, it's that good. Amen? But be sure to come back in the very next episode as we conclude this interview with Shelly Cano. Until then, this past about reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.
Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.